Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, an employee success story at the Department of Veterans Affairs. It's Tuesday, September 6th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. NASA will roll out its next big IT contract October 12th. It's taking comments on the NASA Consolidated Applications and Platform Services preliminary draft request for proposals through September 19th. The contract for IT services to NASA centers and facilities could be worth up to $2 billion. Customs and Border Protection has a new Chief Information Security Officer. Scott Davis was Deputy CISO at CBP before his promotion. He was Deputy CISO at Labor before that. You can read more about these stories and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. The Deputy National Security Advisor for Cyber and Emerging Technology, Ann Newberger, and the Director of DISA, Lieutenant General Robert Skinner, are two of the headliners for Defense Talks. It's next Thursday, September 15th at the Ritz-Carlton in Pentagon City. You can see the rest of the lineup and register through the link in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Department of Veterans Affairs is celebrating its ranking on the top five large agencies list for best places to work in the federal government. It's the first time the agency's ever placed in the top five. Lieutenant General Gina Grosso, U.S. Air Force retired, is Assistant Secretary of Veterans Affairs for Human Resources and Administration Operations, Security and Preparedness at the Department of Veterans Affairs. Gina, welcome. Thanks very much for coming on the program. What was the strategy that you and your team implemented to get to where you are today in employee satisfaction? Welcome. Well, the way we think about strategy is that everything we do is centered around the veteran. Um, And when you think about that, the most important part of centering around the veteran for the VA is the workforce. And so we didn't have really, it wasn't a strategy to increase our score by any means. But our workforce is critical to the success of taking care of veterans. And so to attract a workforce um, and keep a workforce, um, you have to be we have to be successful at that or we can't meet our primary mission. We were really um, pleased to be for the first time ever, which, you know, I've been here about a year. So it's pretty amazing that um, that I got to be a part of that. But I think we've always strived to create an experience for our employees such that they can they can bring their best um, to the VA. And that and that encompasses a lot of 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 actions taken. We have a survey that we do for our employees that it it includes the questions of the the federal survey, but it is very different than the federal survey and that includes additional questions. But more importantly, in my view, it allows you to get data down to the supervisor level. We can't do that with the FEVs. And because of that, because supervisors get a level of data that they can actually see what's working in their workforce and what's not working in their workforce, I think they can more effectively lead their people and understand the issues that they're having and and make improvements on an individual level. Um, because we've, we have measured um, stress in our workforce for many years. And interestingly, it hasn't really changed over the last approximately 10 years. Uh, so I think some of that is attributed to the data that we're able to get at a much lower level than we could, you know, I know I was in the Air Force and, and the FEV surveys is it's so macro that it's very hard for a supervisor to to take action. What does um, what does that supervisor learn, Gina, at that level that he or she wouldn't learn from the FEVs data? Well, the FEVs data is so macro. 
you can't general you, you can only generalize it. The, the the supervisor gets very specific information to the things in that workforce that employees are doing well at or not or need some help with. And so I think um, again, it's my observation having both sides of it from the from seeing both sides of it. Uh, quite frankly, I'm envious that uh, that I wish we would have had this in the Air Force. To be frank, the other thing I'll share with you is that. The, the survey take rate is about 70%, and you just don't get that in the feds. So not only do you have tailored data to your workforce, but you also really have almost all of your employees. So you know, seven out of 10 of your employees across the VA, and in some, you know, some supervisors will have more, some will have less, um, but it's still an incredible response rate. So you have better data to make decisions from it. And then we also use that data at the macro level. So we have very recently partnered with our union partners and we set it up an employee engagement council. Um, and that's been a really, um, I think it's it's been a really effective tool for us um, to look at the macro data um, and, and take some action. And it's grounded, so this EEC is grounded in a framework that highlights the drivers of employee engagement. So servant leadership, employee's voice, and an innovative environment, people focused, um, and connection to the mission. Um, and so, you know, I would love to have my expert on this. So the two, it's it's chaired by Tracy Thayer at the VA Chico um, and the union person. And I'm sorry, I don't have his name off the top of my head, but I, I would love to have them spend some time with you because I think that alone, um, I think it sets a new standard across the federal government. Um, and again, it's just one, it's another way of trying to make sure that um, our we have the workforce that we need to take care of the veterans that um that's our primary mission. Well, they both have an open invitation to join me on this program to talk about that because that's something that every agency, I think, Gina, that's a nut everybody's trying to crack is what does the rank and file workforce connection to leadership like at the Chico level look like and how does that work successfully? And it sounds like you've been able to manage that. So I'd, I'd love to have that conversation. Who are the key people at the agency level in executing what you learn from the survey things that you do like it's I, I imagine it's not just at HQ that there are people with uh, that own a piece of this stakeholders all over the agency that are that are helping to implement the what oh, what yeah. you decide you need to yeah that's exactly exactly true because I can see data from my whole organization and I can take macro level and in fact we just got the data so I'm starting to to work my way through it um, and so I would argue at every single level in the organization and we're, we're as you know, we have three administrations and they all look a little bit different. And so, and they, they are organized a little bit differently, but I think I think leadership at every level looks at this. Um, the, the other thing that's really helpful that I found um, that I didn't have in the Air Force was because we have this office that designed the survey, they come in like they, they, they will come and brief. So they came and briefed me. They will do that for every, they will do that at any level that anybody asks for. Um, and they'll also, so if you come up with an idea, um, they're happy to help you um, implement it or kind of give you tips on what may or be may or may not work. Um, so we just have this ability um, to use data more effectively than I've just seen in other places that I've had I've interacted with. What do you think has driven that? Is it something to do with the data? Is it something to do with the way that the people have the data decide to use it? Or is there some other reason or some combination of all of those things, Gina? 
Oh, I think it's a summation of all of them um, because you can have all the best data in the world, but if you can't if you can't make healthy decisions from it, it's it's pointless. And so, because it's got the whole range, I think that's really what's helped us. And we've and we've we've done it over time. Um, I think the I think the other thing that is just amazing to me because um, I sort of came at the tail end of it. You know, I think the the COVID emergency really. You know, it, it was horrible that we had that in our nation across the world. It's obviously not just us, but it also allows you to do some things that you're not normally allowed to do. Um, and so because we are very veteran focused, we were able to do things and we had to we had to adapt very quickly. And I think because you have to adapt quickly, um, I think from a from a tip of the spear perspective, it's a little bit I don't want to say easy because I don't want to imply anything was easy during COVID. But you know, employees had this had this ability to quickly react to doing what they needed to do on the ground to help the veteran um, with less bureaucracy um, because you were in an emergency. And so um, you can do things that, that you can't normally do. And so interestingly, now, as we um, we do expect the emergency to probably be ending very soon, um, how do we take all that goodness we got the last two years and get that back in the normal kind of battle rhythm bureaucracy? Um, and what authorities do we really want to carry forward? Um, now, I will say we are very blessed with the passage of the PACT Act. And I don't know if that's something you're familiar with, but that's the Toxic Exposure Act that basically is going to allow probably 3.5 million-ish more veterans care. The Congress was really generous in giving us hiring authorities that will really help us make sure that we can have the workforce we need uh, not to ha not only to to help more veterans, but to make sure we have the specialties for those veterans. And it's critical because we're going to have to do so much hiring that we have to keep the people we have, and we have to have the ability to be to be agile enough to hire a lot more people. And so I think we're very fortunate that we've been given those authorities um, that give us the flexibility and takes takes away some of the bureaucracy that you have when you don't have these flexibilities. So we are very grateful for that. Regarding COVID, you used a term there that I think uh, another term I think every agency's grappling with right now, and that is the authorities that you'll carry forward. And I'm thinking not just about authorities, but the momentum, the progress that you made, th this very tiny silver lining in this huge dark cloud that you alluded to a moment ago. How do you intend plan think about maintaining that momentum maintaining that innovative thinking in the rank and file employee to allow her or him to do that problem solving at the veteran level um, without kind of becoming absorbed by the bureaucratic processes that have existed over time i do again i think it was another uh it was another great learning experience. So I think, you know, I'm, I, I, we could definitely get you an expert from the Veterans Health Administration, but the the what the work they were able to do with telehealth, um, people just didn't, wouldn't have thought how that was as effective as it was, especially when you look at the age of the veteran population. I mean, we do have some younger veterans coming from the, from the more recent conflicts, but even our older veterans, once they, we, we had, we were successfully able to teach them and, and, uh, a fairly large percentage of them were very comfortable with telehealth. And so that's that changes the whole landscape of the way you offer health care. Um, and I don't I know that they're working on what's going to be possible. And I, I'm not an expert by any means in the authorities. But again, I'm sure we could connect you with somebody um, that's really an expert because that's another amazing, I think, innovative thing we learned from COVID. I think that we'll need to go forward um, 
because it's just it's just the right thing to do to connect people with the the skilled medical care that they need, whether you're physically there or not. And I know there's something that we focus a lot on is rural health care. And so um, it also sort of expands some options for rural health care as well. Uh, and so we're really working that now and just getting people comfortable with where, where do we go with people coming into the office, people working remotely, um, flexible schedules. But, you know, if, if you look at the younger generations, um, especially the Gen Z, the research is showing that the idea of a workday just doesn't exist. Um, you you get up you and you go to sleep at some point in your however your body scheme works and in some in some schemes you're going to work and at some time you're going to work and sometimes you're not going to work and it's not this like nine to five um and if we can leverage that in a healthy way i think we'll attract the talent we'll certainly keep talent we've also this came from the veterans health administration they stood up what they called a reboot um team um because clearly in the last two years in particular for the healthcare community was very stressful um, and they wanted we to see what could where really are we and what can we do? Um, and what, so one of the things they actually learned was that they're putting meditation rooms in every um, medical facility um, just to give it. And it doesn't matter which, where you work in that facility. So you can have half an hour of, of whatever it is you want to do. Do you want to sleep? Do you want to read? Um, do you want to? I think they even have massage chairs, but they I think they found that they never got away from it. Um, it was very hard to just get away from the, the ops. So, um, and so that's it's really a relatively simple fix. It's not expensive, um, but it takes people. It takes again talking to people um, and understanding what the stressors are, and then being flexible enough. And 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 then the next thing we have to do is make sure people know: yes, you can actually do this. And so that's all of that that um, cultural change that we are. I think I would just argue we are just at the front end of that. Um, and and trying to get comfortable with uh, um, the new way of things. And, you know, it's like, I think all big change, you've got the early adapters, you've got the middle, and then you've got the non-adapters and, um, you know, working our way through that. Broadly, what do you see as the potential roadblocks, Gina, to institutionalize this cultural shift? Because it sounds like that shift is what has led to better employee engagement all across the agency. I think it has driven some, but what's interesting again to me about VHA is we have these very different missions. And um, so we have to be very cognizant that they all, that those different missions have different needs and hiring for those missions and keeping people for those missions is very different. And so from my perspective, we need, um, as I see it, very broad set of policies. Um, and then the administration's pick and, and choose what works for them. And I will, I'll be uh, fair and say, unfortunately, we have um, our senior leaders um, really understand this and, and, have, and, and have embraced it. It's getting that, I think it's actually getting that, that next level and some lower level management to be comfortable with it. Um, and I think that will take some time, but it will, I, I think, I believe we will get there and we have to be respectful of people that are uncomfortable. I mean, change is not easy. Um, and there's nothing and, we, and not be um, don't villainize somebody that is just not comfortable with with um, remote ha having people remote work and telework, um, you know. But if you can't explain why someone needs to come into the office, then then you're, we're probably not going to be able to keep them. Um, and so we've really been doing a lot of work on that. If we have this conversation again a year from now, Gina, do you have specific numbers that you're working toward hitting goal-wise in the FEVs or in the best places to work or you're in your internal numbers 
Or how are you going to measure whether you're continuing to have the impact, whether you're continuing the momentum that has gotten you where you are today? The simple measure, which we've always measured, are um, what's our vacancy rate? Are we hiring the talent that we need? You know, in the medical market, it is very, very competitive. Do we have the workforce we need to take care of the veterans that we serve? And in this environment or any other environment, I think that's just the standard measure. And can the people that we have take care of the veterans in the way we need them to? So um, we did actually, we were relatively stable uh, through COVID, but now that we're coming out of COVID, we have found it to be more challenging, um, especially in some, uh, some particular skills in the healthcare community. You know, and obviously people, we will never compete with, with some of the salaries of the major healthcare systems. But what we offer is, is I think, a more connected mission to something that's really important. There's so few people that serve this country that, you know, less than 1%, um, that taking care of them is, is um, I think, a really I think for a lot of people at VA, it's what attracts us to working at the VA. It's to take care of those that, you know, that that um, protected us when so few do. And they deserve the best that this nation can give them. And I really believe that's why we attract a lot of the people that we do. About a third of our workforce, slightly little less, are veterans ourselves. Uh, and I think that um, we need to have we need to have competitive pay, but we'll never be able to reach. And that's why, to your point, this employee engagement is really important. Um, how can we meet people where they are so that they can take care of the veterans that we serve? Gina Grosso, thank you very much for a great conversation. It's terrific to talk to you again. Thank you very much. Thank you. So nice to see you. You can read more about VA's success and the best places to work numbers in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows, and on any device you get your shows. And if you really like the Daily Scoop Podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It'll help more people find the show. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher helped me put the show together and the entire scoop news group team contributes the daily scoop podcast returns tomorrow until then i'm francis rose thanks for listening